This is the Creative Funding Show, a podcast for authors, YouTubers, and podcasters who want to fund the work they love. Welcome back to the Creative Funding Show. I'm Thomas Umstadt Jr. And with us today is Janine Liston, a certified pricing professional experienced in value creation and a European public speaking champion. Uh, She believes we each possess the wisdom we need to thrive in life and uh, she helps us tap into it. And and today we're going to be talking about pricing and specifically pricing with crowdfunding campaigns and how to pick reward levels that are the right price. So Janine, welcome to the Creative Funding Show. Hi, Thomas. Thanks for having me here. So why is picking a price so difficult? A lot of people, this is the hardest part of launching a Kickstarter campaign or a Patreon page is what do I price my rewards at? Why is that so hard? Yeah, I think it's it's hard in a couple of ways. It's difficult, one, because there's sort of this fear of rejection. Uh, somehow we attach it to our va- own value or worthiness. And that brings up all sorts of core beliefs that we have from when we were kids and, and things like that that are uncomfortable. And then the other side of it is that we feel like we don't know how. I think that people feel like that it's something that there's a specific process or way to go about doing it and they don't know what that is. And so it's kind of this uncertainty around how to do it and how can I feel confident in that number that I set. Right. Especially if you're, what you're giving is a service. Yes. Been taking photos for free all your life and now you want to charge and you're like, well, gosh, I guess I'll do it for $10. (laughs) You're (laughs) like, no, you need to actually charge, you know, what you're worth. But knowing what you're worth is hard, especially if you have challenges with self-worth. And so I think you're exactly right. Part of the reason this is so difficult for a lot of people is that it connects with like deep psychological issues going on more so than like other aspects of the campaign, uh, which aren't quite so psychologically charged, right? People don't really get that invested in their logo or like the copy on their page. You know, there's some emotional element to that, but like pricing is like, am I worth it living on this planet? Do I deserve to breathe air? (laughs) That can be a little bit uh, of a challenge. So let's talk about, uh, I think most people, the first mistake they make is they price too low. Uh, when folks get started, I've seen this across the board in business and in art. Um, what what are some like signals that somebody's prices are too low? What are some of the warning signs? Well, the first one, and this always cracks me up when I hear it, but I hear it a lot, is my customers are telling me I'm priced too low. <laughs> <laughs> so please, 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 if your customers are telling you to raise your prices, you probably want to listen to that right? Because they're going to be good judge, uh, judges of the value you're, you're delivering. That's right. And they, and that's, uh, you're way too low if they're telling you that your price too low. Um, but another way to say that is like, this is a really good deal. Like if people are always talking about your product in regards to price, um, you, that's a sign that uh, you're too low. Uh, so what are some of the other signals that prices are too low? Well, I think that prices, other signals that prices are too low are if you feel that you're working really, really hard, but not getting anywhere, right? So you've got loads and loads of customers, but you're not meeting your financial desires or needs. Uh, That can be an indication, especially with service-based businesses, of course. With product-based businesses, another indication you're too low is if you look at yourself on what we call a value map, if you plot the value of what you deliver versus the price, 
and have yourself and the customers on there. If you're delivering more value than your competition and you're priced lower, it's not the healthiest or most profitable of strategies when it comes to pricing. That's right. You're like, oh, well, I'll put my competitor out of business, but more likely you're actually going to put yourself out of business because <laughs> when you run out of cash, uh, you die. I remember uh, when I launched my first Patreon page, um, we had three levels. We had a $2 level, a $5 level, and an $8 level. And the first 15 people who backed the campaign all backed at the $8 level. <laughs> We're like, we priced the $8 level too low. This was supposed to be the luxury, like aspirational level, the one that only a handful of people got, and it was the one everyone was going to. In fact, it sold out as a limited level. And that was a hard lesson learned. What we ended up doing is we hid that level so no new people could back at it. And we copied it and created a new version of it that was $20. And so now the $8 people still get to keep it. But if they ever cancel, they'll never get it again. <laughs> we've <laughs> learned our lesson <laughs> and we're able to fix it that way. Uh, but it was we left a lot of money on the table pricing it that low. And we just didn't value uh, what we had put in that $8 uh, level. Well, and that brings up an important point, if you don't mind. But the, the way we position prices next to each other or on a page, it communicates something to the people looking at it. So there's a very famous example. I forget which uh, newsprint magazine it was, but they, when they went to online, they went from print to online or during that transition, they priced the online only version at like $80, the print o- or no print only at $80, online only at $125 and online and print at $125. And there was a very specific reason that they did that. They wanted people to buy the combined and not just one or the other. But if they had priced that higher than just the online only, people would have just bought the online only. That's right. That's one of the advantages of having multiple price points is that you create a market yourself and you're able to kind of influence um, what you know package somebody gets and and th- there are different kinds of people some people have a worldview that they always buy the cheapest thing and some people have a worldview that they always buy the most expensive thing and but most people are looking for the best bang for the buck and so what you want to do is you want to make your most profitable um, and by profitable for patreon i don't mean like you're selling things and getting money back but profitable in the sense of time right like that you're putting in time and you're you're getting back a good return, you want that to be a very attractive looking level and and the most attractive looking level. And what's interesting about Patreon specifically is that people don't just back a creator because they want the rewards. They also back a creator because they want to help the creator. It's altruistic and they don't even, you know, give their email address to receive the rewards. And this opens up some really powerful anchoring opportunities. So you can have a hundred dollar a month reward that suddenly makes your $10 a month level look like a really great deal, <laughs> especially when you have people who are backing you at that $100 level because they don't uh, they don't care. Uh, so, so tell us a little bit about anchoring. I realize I threw out that term, but what is anchoring and why is it so important for pricing? So anchoring is important because the number, when we see a price on something, it is not just influenced by if I if I'm buying something, it's not just influenced by how much money I have in my wallet or 
my understanding of the value of the product or service, it's also influenced by what's around it. Uh, and this is evident when you start paying attention, you see it everywhere. And so you can use anchor to steer behavior, like the, like the example with the newspaper. Uh, you can also use anchoring to help sort of lessen the blow, <laughs> if you want to put it that way, about how big that number is compared to something else. So one way to, to anchor price is in the copy before your price, mention statistics that have numbers bigger than your price. Because if you're mentioning, if you're selling something for 250 and you're mentioning statistics that talk about thousands, then 250 doesn't seem so big compared to that. And the benefits of anchoring generally happen at a subconscious level, but they are going on. There's lots of studies out there that show that these things, these fine tuning tactics is what I call them. They work effectively. And once you understand what anchoring is, you see it everywhere. <laughs> this is why Amazon always has the price at the line through it in a different price. You always feel like you're getting a good deal on Amazon. It's why on telecommercials, you know, they're like, you can get all of this for $9.99. But if you call now, it's only $49.99. Like they keep lowering the price. And you're like, oh, well, sophisticated people don't do that. Apple would never do that. Actually, if you watch the very first iPhone reveal, Steve Jobs gets on stage and he explains the value of the iPhone. And he's like, it's an iPod. It's an internet communication device. It's a phone. Each one of these things would be worth $600 <laughs> or $500. And so he rakes out this price and he's like, are we going to sell it for $1,500? No, we're only going to sell it for $600. And everyone's like, oh my gosh. And then and like the next day they're like, $600 for a phone? Are you kidding? But then people were lined up around the block because it changed the world. And if, if it will work for somebody as sophisticated as Steve Jobs, it can work for you. And a lot of people are like, oh, I can't use anchoring. It's a cheeseball technique. And it can be, right? There are cheeseball ways of doing that, right? If you ever hear yourself using the phrase, but wait, there's more, <laughs> you may be <laughs> falling into the trap of, of getting to cheeseball land. But uh, anchoring that price, I think, is uh, very powerful. Yes, I, I agree. And you're right. It can be it can be used in a, in a sleazy way. It can be used in an eloquent way. And I'm a big believer whenever it comes to pricing anything that you're you're trying to sell, um, you need to do it in a way that's aligned with your values. That's right. And I do recommend if you, if you haven't watched it recently, go rewatch the iPhone reveal. That is just masterful salesmanship and presentation. And of all of the presentations Steve Jobs did, that's the one perhaps that changed the world the most. And it's good good to rewatch. Uh, so getting back to prices, though, how, what are some signals that a price is too high? We talked about uh, if they're too low. How do I know that my prices are too high? Well, again, going back to this concept of value and price, if the value you're delivering is not bringing, if what you're delivering isn't bringing the value you says it, you say it will, then of course, um, you may be in a position where you outprice yourself. Uh, this can happen. Another another common mistake that results in being overpriced, and I'm an engineer by schooling originally, so I say this with a lot of love in my heart, but there's a, a lot of technical and engineering people who create things out there because it's exciting to create what they created, but it's not necessarily what their customer wanted or needed. And they have an expectation to earn money with it, so they price it really high and then realize it's not what the market wants or needs. 
That's right, because the value is subjective. One man's trash is another man's treasure. And I remember going back to the iPhone when it first came out, I couldn't afford one, but I knew people who were twice my age who could, and they were using their iPhone to take pictures and to make phone calls, and that was it. And I was like, you have this whole galaxy in your hand. You don't know how to use it. It was like more valuable to me. Like I knew I had watched all the videos. I'd watched the presentation. It's like I knew exactly how to use that iPhone, but everyone else, you know, had no clue. And yet they could afford it. And the value to me was was higher. Uh, but the price point was just, you know, as a college student, I just couldn't afford $600. Like the, the money just wasn't there. Uh, and that, I think, is another element of price uh, pricing is that, you know, the higher of a price you have, the more people you exclude. And sometimes this is on purpose, right? Like some people want to pay a lot of money just to exclude the people who can't afford it, right? This is the country club model, right? The country clubs couldn't sell memberships for free, right? The whole appeal to a country club is that you're not hanging out with poor people. Um, I mean, they don't word it that way, but as somebody who's observed country club life for a long time, this is kind of my opinion of it. It's exclusive, Right. And and people want to feel like they're on the in crowd. They want to feel like they're a part of something that's exclusive. And pricing is a way to do that. Although there are other ways of doing that that are perhaps better for somebody with Patreon, you know, limiting your rewards, you know, giving things just to your most passionate fans, uh, rewarding passion rather than money, because that, you know, person who doesn't make a lot of money, but they re- watch every video, they comment on every YouTube video and they're sharing it all the time. You're like, really, that person needs to feel like they're on the in, in crowd, uh, regardless of whether or not they can afford to buy all of your merch. So can I ask you a question? <laughs> um, when it comes to Patreon, so one of the things that is just something I was thinking out loud or thinking in my head, saying out loud. So quite often when you're selling something, you get requests for discounts. And so I always teach people, you know, don't offer discounts, offer something of value instead, because just because somebody asks for one doesn't necessarily mean that that's what's in the way. So we talk about making a list of things that you could offer instead of granting a discount. And I guess in a sense, the converse of that in a way with Patreon, because you're not necessarily sharing a service you're marketing it to get support for something. And so it's what you include in these packages that people get as part of a bonus for supporting you. Um, you know, instead of adjusting prices on things, you can also include new and, and innovative things in those packages. That, that's exactly right. On Patreon, it's very hard to change your reward levels in terms of price points, like that creates a lot of friction, right? People suddenly are paying a different amount than they were paying and that, you know, they have to reauthorize or it gives them an excuse to cancel. Uh, and with the Kickstarter, it is impossible. Like once someone has backed at a reward level, that reward level's price is locked. But what you can do on both of them is change what you get for those. Uh, so with Kickstarter, the way this is done is with stretch goals. And so, you know, I need $10,000 to produce the album. But if we can raise $15,000, I'll add two new songs to the album than would have been included otherwise, because we'll have the extra money for the studio times. Classic stretch goal. And that's a way of enhancing. You're not paying any more money, right? You paid your $10 for your digital album and you were getting 12 tracks and now you're getting 14 tracks if you help 
bring in more backers, right? So you go get your friends and it creates an incentive. And that's really powerful. You can do uh, stretch goals actually are built into the platform of Patreon. So you have these goals. They're not called stretch goals. They're just called goals, but they function like stretch goals where once we get, you know, a hundred backers, once we get a thousand dollars, such and such thing is unlocked and everyone gets it or everyone at such and such levels gets it. And that is where you want to play around and really experiment with what the rewards are. So I know this is the pricing episode, but in many ways, price is just a way of reflecting the value of the package (laughs) and playing with what's in that package can be very powerful. Well, I I don't know if you're familiar with the reverse auction, which is what they use in, in Amsterdam in the flower market. They use a reverse auction. And to me, it's almost like reverse pricing (laughs) in a sense. So, so what is a reverse auction? So a reverse auction, I knew you were going to ask me that. (laughs) So a reverse auction. So usually you go after the highest bidder and what you do in a reverse auction is you go towards the lowest bidder, but if you don't go low enough, then you might not sell your flowers basically. So you keep lowering the price till you can't lower it. Like how, what does that look like? You keep lowering it until somebody accepts the price. Okay. So they do that at regular auctions too. If they put out a product and no one's bidding on it, sometimes they'll lower the product till they get a bid. Um, it's, it's an interesting technique. It's kind of like a reverse coupon, which we found has worked really well, which is where you uh, threaten or you say, we're raising the price of our course. We do this with Novel Marketing. We have a course that we price way too low. Lesson learned. But instead of just raising the price, what we've done is we've, from time to time, warned people, hey, we're going to raise the price in two months. If you want to get it at the current price, this is your chance. And it functions like a coupon. It has that urgency and that anchoring and a lot of the elements of a coupon. But we're not actually lowering the price. We're anchoring it to this new higher uh, price that it's going to have in the future. It's a good strategy for when you have to make price increases. Right. And it also eliminates people being like, what happened? I was about to buy it and suddenly the price has gone up. Like they have lots of notice. <laughs> and so it people feel less um, like you just change the price willy nilly. Um, so uh, let's talk real briefly as, as we close about specifically pricing strategies for Patreon and for Kickstarter. Um, I, I uh, what what are some tips you would give for somebody who's starting a Patreon page on uh, setting prices for their rewards? I think one of the things that I alluded to earlier is when you do set up your packages, think about the different price levels. Because so let's say you have three different packages that you are levels that people can can support you at. If you price the bottom one and the middle one very close together you'll steer people more towards the bottom, well, towards those two, if you have a bigger gap between the middle and the higher one. Uh, If you want to steer people, so you can steer people with your prices and think about when you set those numbers, don't necessarily have them in equidistance apart uh, because you can actually steer people in a direction. Uh, probably one of the reasons you sold that higher $8 package so much is because there wasn't enough difference between the different levels. And if you had had a bigger gap, you might not have sold as many of those. So think about what those price levels are are saying to people and how it might be steering them. So that's that's one thing to do. When it comes to selecting them, 
I guess part of it depends on what your your goal is and how many people you need in order to achieve that goal at the different levels. So you can set yourself up with a very simple a sheet to, to be able to do the math on that. And maybe even Patreon has that in the background somewhere and does that math for you. Uh, but can consider that and, and use that then as part of your strategy when you go out and you try to, when you go out to get people to sponsor you, um, you can use that information. You know, you need to have 20 of these and 50 of those and 10 of, of another you can use that as part of your, your strategy when you go out and target people. And I guess the last point is that when it comes to selling, and I use that in quotes, although you can't see my air quotes on the, on the <laughs> podcast, is that it's, it's still about value. And you have to be, in order to sell anything, in order for people to understand that a price price that you set for something is worth it, they have to understand the value that's behind it. Now with Patreon, I think, as you said before, it's, they're appealing to a different, in some cases, they're appealing to people for a more altruistic, um, from a more altruistic side. And yet at the same time, I think that there's also a value component in there in terms of what's in the packages and people get excited and, and are interested in those things. Uh, but you have to be able to communicate that value. And communicating that value is, is really key. And, and that's really good with Kickstarter. Uh, I'm going to use an example from uh, restaurants. So when I was in business school, we got a bunch of tours of restaurants. We talked about the business plans of restaurants. It was very fascinating. And uh, one of the things they talked about is how different dishes on the menu are different levels of profitability based off of the ingredients and how much time it is to make. So the steak, while it's maybe very expensive, they may not be making very much money on that because the meat that goes into the steak is so expensive that that captures most of the value. And one of the strategies that restaurants will do is that their most profitable dishes are the ones that they will put in uh, like pictures of because a dish with a picture is much more likely to be ordered than a dish without a picture. So that really expensive, you know, thing that, you know, it's not very profitable, but the foodies really get into, they may not have a photo of that on the menu. <laughs> you can order it and they'll sell it to you and they'll make their 50 cents off of you. But the, you know, thing that's got lots of potatoes and eggs and cheap ingredients, there's a big flashy photo of it. And, uh, with Kickstarter, the, um, the price points that people are drawn to are uh, the most popular ones in general. Now, different categories are different, but $25 and $40 are the two most popular um, price points here. If you do a campaign, those are going to be where you get most of your backing. That's where what people want to spend. And you want to make sure that those levels are those flashy picture type dishes <laughs> where it's, it's very good, um, margins. So like for $25, if you're a, um, artist, or a, let's say you're an author, so you, you know, give the ebook and one copy of the paper book is the $25 level, which is, you know, $25 worth of value, right? The ebooks were 10 bucks. The paper book is worth 15 or $20. So it feels like a good deal, but your cost of giving the ebook is negligible. And so it ends up being a very high value 
uh, product for you. The temptation is, oh, for $25, I'm going to give you a signed copy. And, you know, if a thousand people back at the $25 level, you are signing 1000 books <laughs> and that you're, you know, you're going to wish that your arm was, would fall off at the end of that. Like, you, you need to price it in such a way where you're not doing harm to your body. Um, so anyway, those are just some thoughts on, on Kickstarter. I know we have folks listening who are doing Kickstarter and Indiegogo and some people who are doing Patreon. Um, but the, the main thing, and, and I really appreciate that you keep going back to this, is about value. And the key to knowing value is to know who your audience is and what they find valuable. Amen. <laughs> because just because you think something is valuable doesn't mean they will think something is valuable. Uh, I remember one final story. I, I was at WordCamp, so WordPress conference, and one of the developers from the WordPress team was giving a presentation. He was talking about all the new features in WordPress that they'd worked so hard about on. He's going after feature after feature, and he's getting polite applause. And then he's like, and we're improving the copy and paste from Microsoft Word so it won't mess up the text so much when you copy and paste. And he gets like a standing ovation. <laughs> and he just stands there dumbfounded because <laughs> like all these other features were so hard to develop and like whole teams of people. And it was the pasting from Microsoft Word, which was the one that like got him the standing ovation. And he was like, really? That's the feature? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the same thing happened at Apple at their most recent uh, presentation. They released the new version of Microsoft or uh, OS 10, the new Mac operating system. And what got them the biggest applause was this new dark mode where you can make all of the colors dark. So you're not getting so much light on your face, which is not a big feature. Like that was not hard to do. And they get this thunderous applause and the, and the guy on stage is kind of stunned. It's like, wow, I guess we really hit the, got the right feature with that one. <laughs> I will say that's the first feature I turned on when I got the new S OS 10. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's amazing because it, yeah, of course, some of the things that we develop as products or services, we get really complicated, but oftentimes the things that people appreciate the most are those simplest things. Yeah. It's not the big gestures that make a huge difference. It's the day to day, the little things. And so that's a good thing to keep in mind as you're developing what you're offering for people. Preach. That'll preach. <laughs> All right. Where can people find out more about you? Yeah. So they can go to www.thepricinglady.com and they'll can find out more about me there. All right. Well, uh, Janine Liston, thank you so much for coming on the Creative Funding Show. And I do encourage you to go to thepricinglady.com and find out more about what she has to offer. She really knows her stuff when it comes to pricing. And we're really thankful to have you on the show today. Oh, thank you, Thomas. It was my pleasure. And if any of you want to sign up for Patreon on uh, with the Creative Funding Show affiliate link, I've had several people email me about this in the last week that we have not been making the link easy enough to find. So I will put it in the show notes of this episode. So go ahead and scroll down in your app and you will find that link. I'm Thomas Humstead Jr. Thank you for listening to the Creative Funding Show.